1: Hey, thanks for having me, Dennis. I'm happy to be here, brother. Awesome. Whereabouts in the world are you today? So I'm in Newport Beach, California. It's a little cold out here today. It's kind of it's actually probably more like Auckland weather. <laughs> and I'm quite surprised you didn't actually because most
2: most people from California go sunny California. You didn't say that.
1: Not today. No, it's cloudy. No. Day, which actually, I love it. It's nice. You know, I, I love changing weather. It makes no. me uh, feel like we're we're, something's going to change, at least.
2: Yeah, of course, seasons are changing and things are starting to evolve as you go into spring and into summer, and of course we're going into autumn or fall, as we call it, some countries call it around the world. And yeah, it's a bit of big change for a lot of us as we go through it.
1: Yeah, we don't get that so much here. There's too many palm trees. Ah, <laughs> uh,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. Good point. Yeah, good point.
1: We get That's flowers right? in the spring. That's really about it.
2: That's good. That's good. It's yeah. good to see flowers, though, right? I mean, it's really nice to see. Yeah. 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 Now, Rick, um, I've given our listeners a brief introduction to you. You're the author of a book called Healing Career Wounds. What does that mean?
1: You know, it's it's actually the punchline. If you if you want to be able to attract really high caliber talent to your company, then heal their career wounds. So the answer is not money. The answer is not about, you know, it's funny. I, I talk to so many uh, CEOs that say, We, well, you know, we can't afford eight players. And I'm like, well, Not with that attitude, you can't. But, you know, the funny thing is, is mostly players aren't making a move for money. They're making a move because they need some sort of career growth. They need something that they're not getting in their current organization. And the key to that is understanding what that is and then healing it for them, giving them the opportunity at your company to be able to do that sort of thing if that's available. Yeah. And it's really that simple.
2: That is simple. Easy to say as well, but not always easy to do. But it's simple and that's the thing I think in life too that if we keep it simple, it'll actually happen a lot easier, which is good. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And you, you've got a higher OS. Tell us a little bit more about that too.
1: Yeah. So you know we've been doing this for years. We've actually been building like an interview process out for our clients. So whenever we do an executive search for a company, what we do is we come in and we say, okay, we'll do the search. But way in which we work is we install our hiring operating system, our process, so that. What we're doing is we're ensuring that you're able to extract evidence to support whether or not that person should be hired. Not just going off of gut feelings and bias and whatever else that happens in a hiring decision or, you know, in that interview process, but getting actual data to support whether or not somebody's going to be able to excel in the organization. And so it's been successful with almost every company that we've we've rolled out with that we've hired for. And we've, in fact, had customers come back to us and say, hey, can you now install this in our, completely in our organization and help us get us up and running in it, which has been a great aftermath. So then I started to think, well, how do we scale this? How do we make this available to everyone? I mean, because small businesses need this more so than anybody else. And it's just putting the structure in place and it being able to have a system that you go on, you log to a browser, and then you just run your whole interview through it. And make it repeatable and predictable. And so we're actually building out the software right now to scale this, to be able to enable every small business the opportunity to win, win the strongest hires, and not have to compete on that whole, you know, well, we lost out because we couldn't pay that much money Mm, scenario. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: Okay, good. Now, the Silicon Valley side of things, you're doing quite a bit of work there. I've spent a lot of time in Palo Alto, of course, because of Hewlett-Packard, where I was and i used to go to restaurants where we walk down the road and you can see there's a startup happening in in certain places and when i say restaurants they're out restaurants talking about things or they might be doing in a private room and they're having a little bit of a launch and things like that so i can't believe we haven't bumped into each other there
1: i've probably been there about as much as you have because i i like i'd go in and i'd come back out so it's interesting as i've recruited in the silicon valley for my whole career however I haven't really lived there ever. So I did a stint. I started out in Sun Valley, Idaho, and then I moved to California. And then I did 10 years in Hawaii, all working that same market and then came back to California. So, yeah, I, I tried to move there a couple of times. It wasn't too successful. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay.
2: What was it like living in and working in Hawaii?
1: It's great. Hawaii is an amazing place. It was a little challenging for me because all I wanted to do was just go surf every day. Right. So it was hard to get yourself into that. The work mode, it's so easy to get distracted there.
2: Mm, I bet. I bet. Yeah. I bet. Yeah. Now, we've got some questions to go through here around leadership and that. And and I also want to talk about that, how it relates to the career side of things with people too. The first question I've got for you is how did you get into leadership?
1: I got in the old-fashioned way, which was, hey, you're a high producer. You're doing a great job. Guess what? You're a manager. Mm-hmm. You know, and which is by far... The worst way to be promoted because you're just set up for failure. I I remember having so many conversations with my old boss saying, like, can you help me? Like, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I was just having all kinds of challenges. And of course, his response was, well, just read a book. So I went and took a couple of management courses and tried to get better at it because I was a terrible, terrible manager.
2: And can you remember the books that you read?
1: You know, it, it was funny. The book that he recommended was The One Minute Manager and then Who Moved My Cheese? So those were uh, the two that, you know. And then I started getting into, you know, the wisdom of teams because we had a really highly teamwork-centric environment. And then I started doing sales leadership training because I was in a sales environment. So there was a, a slew of books that I picked up. I've always been one of these people where I, I pull, like, something out of each piece and then kind of put it into my repertoire, if you will.
2: Yep, yep. Into your toolkit, as we call it sometimes, as well, a repertoire. It's amazing how many leaders have actually gone that way into becoming a leader. Ta da! You're the new leader. Congratulations. All the best. See your next performance review. What? Yeah. And then you, you sink or swim. So that happens. But also thinking about how do people actually develop themselves? Because it's not like they've developed you the past to, to prepare you for the role. It is, there it is. And uh, rip the yep. band aid off. And we found a solution. Here it is. And good luck. Not everyone wants to be a leader in the sense that they want to be more, or let me put it another way. I think a lot of people actually miss doing that technical stuff or the stuff that they normally do on a daily basis. Now, all of a sudden, they're the leader or the manager, but they don't actually get to do that stuff that they used to do uh, and they miss it as well. Do you find that being in the career or the, you know, sort of the hiring process and things like that? Do you see a lot of people go get upset or miss that kind of thing and then decide, you know what? I'm going to leave and they walk and then we lose the talent from that organization.
1: It does happen. I, I don't see it too often. It's usually what I see often on our search practice is it's usually the person who wants to move into a higher role and it's not available. Right. And so I see more of that. I haven't seen too many people that have, you know, been mentored into a leadership role that got put in there. They're like, hey, get me out of here. I was great at being an individual contributor, but I really enjoyed kind of having more responsibility. So I kind of went after it with full gusto and I made every possible mistake, you know, you could make. There was probably a few days that I was willing to hand the keys back and say, you know, let somebody else do this, you know, because it was hard. It was real hard, especially with no training. Yep, yep. Very little mentorship. I mean, you know, I wish wish you could say it was more, but yeah, I was... Trial by fire, which is basically when you get
0: into doing any sales-related positions, the same thing. So I'm located in the Midwest, in Indiana. It's about 30 minutes north of Indianapolis, small town called Kokomo. And that's actually where I grew up. So I I moved back home. Long story short, I had a a military background. I was in the United States Air Force for a short stint. Did some contracting, lived overseas, been to a lot of different countries and ultimately discovered that I had a really good home before I left all that and decided to come back and be amongst family. Everybody lives within 30 minutes. So, happily back here in the Midwest. It's great to be around family and it? it's great to be, yeah, yeah. It's really good. I Definitely with kids, having yeah. kids and, and having, it's true what they say, it takes a village and we're so fortunate to have a village if we need a day or if we need to, you know, somebody, they, there's a lot of helpers here. It's phenomenal. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and I and also see with that helping as well as it's, it's a community, as you said, right? It's the, the village, the community. And I think that's what we need a lot more of today in life. And if I think about it, because you and I and the rest of the world have been in a funny two years around a pandemic and we've been in and out of lockdowns, been away from everyone. I mean, I'm walking down the street the other day, Tim, and it's quite interesting how people sort of going taking the, the the wide stance from each other because they don't want
0: to get near each other. It's like,
2: Hello. I have good hand around on. I don't smell. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't dude So where I live, you know, I'd, I'd actually traveled more than I, than I ever traveled in my life during the COVID season. Went to Las Vegas, was out in California, was all over the place. And out here where I'm, where I'm from, not a lot really changed as much. I'm not in a heavy populated city, but uh, yeah, man, I love people and I didn't want to stop living in fear of not living. So that was always like, you know, there's about two weeks that I was just trying to figure out what in the world is going on. The whole world orchestrated together to shut down. It was strange and bizarre, but, but it didn't take me long really to go, okay, this is my decision. And I'm going to choose to be with my family and I'm going to choose to live freely. Yep. No ill will to anybody that chose different. That's just, you know, what I stuck my flag in.
2: <laughs> yeah. Hey, good <laughs> <So> on you. <laughs> but I think there's a key word that you've said, the key words that you decided. And, and the other one was the fear. There is a thing out there, fear. And I think a lot of it is driven as well And you know, things, whether it be what it is and what it's done to people is interesting, but I see people really being scared of things. And I think a lot of that sometimes is done by the media, Mm -hmm. by hearsay, people just talking, whispering and gossiping. I don't know about you, but I had to turn the news off. I don't watch the news. I don't even look at social media stuff. It's just the news feed's on there. I don't want to know. You know why? Because I'm like you. I want to get on with life. We've got things to get on with, right? That
0: that, and, you know, I I was listening. It's just randomly. I was laying on my bed. I was was in a relaxed state of mind. And I heard an ad come on. I think my wife was listening to Spotify or something. And I just went down this rabbit hole. I was like, my gosh, we get hit with so many ads consciously and subconsciously. And I don't know the average. But I got to thinking, like, if you're not really careful about how you guard your mind, Mm. And the information that you put it in, if you're not looking at at the nutritional value, if you will, of the content that you're consuming, that's a scary thought, at least for me, because for the first time I really realized, oh my God, I'm being advertised to and I otherwise wouldn't have really like paid attention to that. So yeah, I I, I use that terminology, like looking at, at content as if it has a nutritional value. And is it serving my higher goals mm. or is it taking away? Is it adding or subtracting from my overall character that I'm, I'm investing in just a thought. And and I go down these rabbit holes quite a bit. It's interesting having ADD. <laughs> yeah, I've got to say to our listeners
2: as well, who are listening here right now is that, yeah, I, I agree with Tim. You've got to be careful about what you're actually, you know, listening to, because we always used mm. to say, and I started in computer programming years ago, Tim, and, and, many many years ago in computer programming and we always talked about garbage in and garbage out and that was that if we are having data that's going in that's garbage you're going to get garbage results and if we're putting in code or software that is garbage then we're going to get garbage output as well so it's also the same thing for our mind and our attitudes
0: and what's going in through the six inches i call between our ears right absolutely yeah and i so I work with really smart guys. I am not myself a coder. I know enough to make like infrastructure decisions and, and right. at least give my, my two cents in, in that. But I, uh, I'm i fortunate to work with really smart guys. And typically I just draw, make suggestions and then let the smart guys really get to work. I try to get out of their way and <laughs> let them carry the coding torch. But I, I really do feel like coders are some of the most unsung you know, heroes, if you will, that they don't really get a a lot of recognition. It seems like in a lot of cases. So I always try to shout out my guys whenever I possibly can, because they truly are just exceptional human beings (laughs) in vastly different ways than I am. So shout out to, to those guys if they're listening. Awesome. That's good. (laughs) Good work. Hey, um, true fans, let's, let's quickly talk a little bit about true fans who, what is true fans? So true fans started due to problems in the you know, social media world. We, we never really set out to have good ideas. It's more so we set out to see what sucks, what, what problems are, what's going on that isn't. Where's the market at? What do people want and need? And you know, there's no difference with this. We saw that creators historically, content creators are typically underpaid and undervalued on most large social media platforms. It's been that way a long time. Just now people are realizing you know, how these platforms are making money through ads and such and, and selling and monetizing your data and traffic. So that, you know, talking about the pandemic stuff, we li- we're living in a time right now where, where information is being censored on both sides, depending on the narrative or, or some, somebody's decision, you know, they're taking people down and there's a lot of different rules and we saw all these problems and we thought, okay, we can build something that puts the creators in control and we can help them make a lot more money, we can give them their platform where they're not, you know, demonetized. They're not limited in their reach. We could make it invite only. And we could, you know, be a home for folks that would love to have a membership site without the adult stigma. We don't allow porn on untrue fans. So number one, we got a little lucky with the timing of that. St- we literally launched like about a week before the pandemic started. And we were able to become a life preserver for a lot of folks that had to go off or excuse me, online comedians, musicians, various artists and creatives of all, all sorts. We were able to help them with a digital platform so they could go live on it. They could do messaging. They could create a, a community, right, where they could start monetizing, getting paid to post. And we're at a place now, like fast forward, we're listening with the intent to engineer. I, I'd like to say that's one of my superpowers is to feel the pulse and know, you know, what users need and what they're saying. And I, I'm deeply invested in you know, service-oriented tech. And yeah so so we've got some really cool features that have come out that have given us a competitive advantage like we're launching an nft portion of our platform very soon like next week where creators can have their you know content essentially transformed into an nft and, and sell you know a finite amount through the platform we've got live events we've got mass messaging all these different cool things that we're we're pumped for and we're glow we're growing globally so you can probably hear me light up about the, <laughs> the platform. I get really excited about it because it's been you, a lot of fun. You can tell. Your energy goes, has gone up big time. And so yeah. how many employees is True Fans? How big is the organization? So we have right at 46 developers. We may have 47 now. I think we brought somebody on. And then I've got a partner. I've got two partners. Our core team is out in Delhi, India. That's where mm-hmm. I've, been, I've been working with these guys for about nine years now. And two of us are here in central Indiana. So my partner lives up in Indianapolis. He moved from the West Coast down here and and we're able to spend a lot more time and focus together, which has been awesome.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world.